You are so gracious to us, Father. You provide so much for us. Um, we get to be part of a team and many wonderful tools that are provided. We're thankful for that. But more than anything else, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the wonderful message of righteousness by faith and Christ our righteousness. And the truth is, we're still just trying to understand it, and we know we will for through eternity. But we have another opportunity in the next hour to come before you, to sit at the feet of heaven under the leadership of the Holy Spirit through a servant that you have brought to us by your grace. And we want to pray that you will specially anoint him and give him the words to speak to us this evening. May Brother Wahlberg sense your presence in a very real way, and we too, as we listen to the word of God brought before us, and Jesus lifted up, and we thank you in his name. Amen. Thank you very much. All right. Good evening, everyone. Are you ready? Uh, you've got your Bible. Somebody said, I've got my Bible. I feel... Uh, how can I describe my, my feelings as we're about to launch into this talk? I have a lot of emotions rolling around inside me. I am uh, very solemn. I am uh, convicted. And I am dependent upon the Lord to give me the words to say, uh, I'm excited that I have a chance to share this with you. This is a very, very powerful subject. And it's not powerful because of me, it's powerful because it's, it's powerful <laughs> from the Lord. Uh, my, my title is called white, A White Robe for Naked Laodiceans. And we're going to study Revelation chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to open up to Revelation chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 22. And I thought of an illustration as we get into this. Uh, I think most of you have read in Revelation chapter 10 where John was given a little book to eat. Remember that? And in his mouth, how did that book taste? It was sweet. But when it got into his stomach, what happened? It was bitter. That's right. And as I thought about this talk, and I, and I thought that uh, an appropriate thing to do is to, <clears throat> to give you sort of a forewarning as we get into this, that uh, this talk is going to be bitter, bitter, in, bitter to, to all of our pride, <laughs> let me say it that way. It's bitter to our pride, but it's sweet to the soul, sweet to the soul. Uh, the Laodicean message is very, very powerful. There's a lot to it. There's more to this message than than meets uh, a surface, the surface eye. The Laodicean message goes, goes deep, really, really deep. It has gone deep into my heart for a long, long time. And I, I, it has helped me more than I can tell you. 
in my own battle with myself. <laughs> it's been a tremendous blessing to me. And so, um, you know, I just, I, I trust the Lord that we will all, as a group, go into this study with an open heart, with open hearts, and with a real desire to hear the word of the Lord and uh, to let Jesus talk to our hearts. And we've already had prayer, so I want to, before we read from the text, I want to share uh, just a couple sentences from volume one of the Testimonies, a chapter called The Laodicean Church, and just share a few sentences. Uh, And and even before I do that, I've, I've learned from my Bible study that the third angel's message is the final message that God wants us to give to the world, especially during the loud cry. I think we, we all see that. And my understanding is that Jesus gives the Laodicean message to the church so that we can be ready and prepared to give the third angel's message to the world. That's what's going on here. The Lord wants to prepare us to give the message in the right spirit, in the right way, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's a couple of, uh, couple of sentences from volume one, page 186. <clears throat> Ellen White wrote, I was shown that the testimony to the Laodicean, to the Laodiceans, applies to God's people at the present time. And the reason it has not accomplished a greater work is because of the hardness of their hearts. But God has given the message time to do its work. So the Laodicean message is going to be doing a work inside of us. The heart must be purified from sins which have so long shut out Jesus. And then it says, I saw that this message would not accomplish its work in a few short months. It is designed to arouse the people of God, to discover to them their backslidings, to lead to zealous repentance, that they may be favored with the presence of Jesus and be fitted for the loud cry of the third angel. Isn't that powerful? So what we're, what we're going to be studying t- uh, tonight is the message of the Lord to the church to purify us and to help prepare us for the loud cry and to prepare us to receive the presence of Jesus. And as I talked about in my last meeting this morning, uh, the Lord wants to cover us through his righteousness 
And he also wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings the presence of Jesus into our lives. And that's what we need. Isn't that right? (laughs) We all need that. So in that light, let's have a Bible study on Revelation chapter 3. These are the words of Jesus himself. In my Bible, they're all in red. I've got a red-letter Bible. Verse 14 says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. And the Laodiceans, this is the last church. There are seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. If you, you, know, you know the different churches, Ephesus, Pergamos, and you go right down through. And those were real churches that were in existence in the time of, of John. But they also represent stages in the history of Christianity. And the Laodicean church is the last church. It's the last of the seven. So that's where we are. We're in the Laodicean time period. To the church of the Laodiceans, write, these things says the Amen. Now we'll just stop right there, the word Amen. I've done a lot of study on this uh, chapter and this section. And I've discovered that the word amen is actually the very last word of the Bible. (laughs) If you go to the very end of Revelation chapter 22, it says, the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The last word. And uh, it seems to me that Jesus is introducing himself to the Laodicean church by right out of the gate referring to himself as, as the amen is, is he's trying to give us a, a message and the message is that he is the last word. You know, in, in the church today and in the world, there's so many words that are flying around. As we talked about earlier uh, today, the Bible says, Paul says in Romans 3.19, that every mouth should be stopped. God wants us to stop talking and to listen carefully to what he has to say, especially to the words of Jesus. Jesus is the amen. He's the last word. And he wants to have the main word inside of our, our lives and inside of our hearts. He's also, he introduces himself as the faithful and the true witness. Everything that Jesus says is true. He never spoke a lie. Nobody's ever done that except for him. I don't think there's there's any one of us that can say we've never told a lie. If you were to say, I've never told a lie, you would be lying, (laughs) right? Uh, None of us have done that. But Jesus, Jesus said over and over again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. He is the truth. And so what we're going to read here as we keep on going, we're going to be reading the truth. These are the words of the true witness who knows what he's talking about. Now, if you remember Peter, you know, Peter thought the Lord Lord was wrong. 
Jesus said, um, he said, Peter, uh, everybody's going everybody's to deny me. You're all going to forsake me. And Peter said, no, not me. He said, though, though everybody else may deny you or, or fall away from you, Peter said, I never will. Not me, Lord. And then Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. And Peter thought, that's not right. <laughs> no, Lord, that's not true. But Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew Peter. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, in Matthew 16, Jesus told the disciples that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. And Peter said, no, Lord, that's not, that's not going to happen to you. And then Jesus turned around and said, uh, he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me, for you do not savor the things of God, but the things that be of men. So there were, there were a number of times where Peter disagreed with the Lord, and he, he was rebuked for that, and he learned at the end of that night that Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. And what we're about to read is Jesus' statement, the true witness who knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's telling us the truth. And then it's, Jesus says he's also the beginning of the creation of God. Now that does not mean that he was the first created being. It means that he is the beginning, that he's the author and he's the source of this world. Jesus is, is God. He made this world. He made you. He made me. He made Adam and Eve. He made the, the trees and the flowers and the birds and my, uh, my two dogs and my three cats and my three fish and all the deer that show up in our backyard and try to get into my garden. <laughs> he know, he, Jesus made them all. This is Jesus Christ's world. This is his project that he created in the beginning and that has strayed away from him and that he's doing everything possible to bring this world back to its maker. That's who Jesus is. He's the beginning of the creation of God. Verse 15, he says, I know, I know your works. He knows everything everything about us. He knows why we do what we do. He knows what we do. He, he knows everything. He knows our works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now, you know, I'm sure you've read these words before. Um, these words are definitely not flattering. These words are pretty straightforward. Jesus talks about our condition, and he says we're not cold, we're not hot, we're in the middle. Now, I thought about this a lot, and I thought, Lord, what, you know, what's your main point? <laughs> what are you trying to tell us? And I, we have a perfect illustration here because the weather here is really cold, Right? <laughs> I mean, it's cold out there. I tried to go jogging today, which I, I like to do. Uh, I had some, I've got some cleated tennis shoes that I took with me here that are designed to run in snow. 
And even on ice, I, in, in Idaho, I can run on ice. And I, I love just getting out, being outside, surrounded by snow, and running. And so I tried to run today. <laughs> and I made it for a little while, but I had to go back in. Because uh, my face, it was too cold. It was too cold. Um, and you know, when you're really cold, you feel, what do you feel? <laughs> a need to get warm. There's a need there. Now, when you're, when you're really hot, you feel a need to cool down. But when you're lukewarm, when you're in the, if you're in the middle, you don't feel a need for anything. You're just fine, comfortable. And as, we'll, as we're about to see as we keep going in Jesus' words, uh, the issue of need is big in the Laodicean message. Laodicea's problem is that it, it, it thinks it has need of nothing. And I see that as uh, part of what Jesus is trying to tell us. And when he says, I will spew you out of my mouth, what he means is that he's not able to represent us before God when we are in a condition that does not feel any need. He can't uh, take our case on his lips before the Father. He says in in Revelation 3, where is this? uh, In verse 5, Jesus says, he that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The time is going to come when our names are going to come up in the judgment. And Jesus is going to confess our name. He's going to acknowledge us as his children before God. And if we are in a lukewarm state where we don't feel a need for anything, Jesus says, I can't, I can't take your name on my lips. I can't confess you before my Father. Now, verse 17, he goes down to the, to the root issue. Verse 17, he says, because you say. So here's where the, where the sieve is moving My mother used to say, uh, when she wanted to get to the heart of an issue, she would say, when you peel away the layers of the onion, you get to the heart of the issue. And the Lord wants to peel away the layers and get to to the core. You know, like John the Baptist said, now the ax must be laid to the root of the trees. And that's really where the Lord wants to reach us, is down at the heart. Ellen White says it was, it was heart work with Christ. And that's where Jesus really wants to go. And in verse 17, he's going down. He's going down, down, down. He says, because you say, you say, I am, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of how much? Need of nothing. He's describing a a state of self-satisfaction.
satisfaction where we are very content with ourselves. We're very content with who we are and with, uh, with our understanding of truth or whatever else. You know, and, and we could go on and on and on. We could be content with this or this or this or this or who knows what. But he's describing a, a state where we say you know, that we're fine, basically. We're just fine. As they, as, as they say the vernacular, I'm good. I can't tell you how many tracks, how many glow tracks I've given away or tried to give away and had some people say, no thanks, I'm good. And when they say that to me, you know, I walk away thinking, thinking to myself, I don't say this to them, but I think to myself, you're not good. You're not. If you only knew <laughs> what's in this track, or if you knew about God, or if you knew about the Ten Commandments, or if you knew about Jesus and, and what he did for you on the cross and what he's offering you and what you're choosing instead of him, you're not good. You're in trouble. You're in big trouble, and you don't know it. And, you know, that's basically human nature, isn't it? Uh, we all have the same problem. Whether we're in the church or out of the church, if we're out of the church, uh, you know, a lot of times the problems are, are bigger. <laughs> they're more open. They're more obvious. But even if we're in the church, we still have the same basic problem. We have the same basic nature. And it is a nature that ultimately is, uh, is self-satisfied. It's interesting that Lucifer didn't, didn't say out loud, I will exalt myself to heaven. I will sit upon the sides of the north. I will be like the Most High. He didn't. The Bible says, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. But Lucifer didn't walk around heaven saying, I will ascend into heaven. I will be like God. This was what he said in his heart. It was a heart issue. Uh, I, and it says in, in Ezekiel 28, God said, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Your heart became proud. And we don't really understand how that happened because it had never happened before. It was a mysterious thing that happened in heaven where the heart of a, of a holy angel became proud. Now look, now look back at the text. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods. And those goods could be material goods or they could be spiritual goods. They could be the goods of truth that we have all this truth. We are rich, and we're increased with all this truth. We've got the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. We've got all these books. We've got the health message. We've got, you know, the list goes on and on and on of all the things that we've got. I am rich, and I am increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. 
And then Jesus says, now I want to really zero in on this. I want you to really look close. Jesus says, and you know not. There's something you don't know. We may have a lot of light and a lot of knowledge about a lot of things, but Jesus says, there's something that you know not. Now let's just stop right there and kind of explore this. There's a lot there. Jesus tells us in this verse that we don't know our true condition. He goes on and describes, you know not that you are, and he lists five things, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Five things Jesus says that we are, that we don't know we are. Now, let's just uh, talk about that. Is Jesus right or wrong? He's right. right. (laughs) That's right. And who is he talking to? He's talking to us. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Jesus, the true witness who knows my works, who knows everything about me, who never makes a mistake and who never lies, is telling me that I am those five things, but I don't know it that I don't know it. Now, if Jesus said, I, I don't know it, then he's, he's right, because he always tells the truth. Um, now, it's, it's the natural human inclination of pride to say, that's not me, Lord. That's somebody else, but that's not me. But is that me? Is Jesus right or is he wrong? He's right. Uh, Who was the first being who ever disagreed with God? It was Lucifer. And Lucifer became a devil because he disagreed with God. Isn't that right? And so we need to agree with Jesus. Now... The natural inclination when Jesus says you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, uh, the human heart says, that's not me. And I, th- I think, I've concluded that one reason why we, it's, it's difficult to admit that this is us. Because sometimes we're afraid to do that. Because we think that if we admit the truth that we are really wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, if we admit that truth, we think that we're in trouble with God, that we're, we're afraid we're going to be lost. Because I'm supposed to be sanctified. I'm supposed to be uh, an overcomer. I'm supposed to be getting ready for heaven. And if I accept the fact that I'm really wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, that means I'm not ready for Jesus to come. But, but that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. 
Let, let me ask you, are we, are we getting ready for Jesus to come when we agree with the Lord or when we disagree with him? When we agree with him. So if that's what Jesus says and we agree with Jesus, we believe Jesus, we trust Jesus, we, uh, we uh, believe in his word, that's exactly what we need to be doing to get ready for heaven, <laughs> right? Agreeing with Jesus is the path to heaven. Now, here's something very interesting. Um, I've, I've looked at these words, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And, and to, you know, on first thought, you look at these words and it's, they're bitter words, aren't they? They're bitter. They're, they're not flattering. Uh, they're, they're distasteful. And we think, you know, that can't be me. That cannot be me. But on the other hand, consider this. When Jesus was here on earth, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, who were the people that Jesus was able to minister to? What kind of people were those people? It was, it was the people who knew that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You can take every single one of those phrases, look at the word wretched, you could have a Bible study on wretched. Remember, uh, Paul said after Romans 7, and he saw the holy law of God, and he was convicted of his sins, and then he realized he was in bondage. He wanted to do what's right, but he did what was wrong. He hated doing this, you know, but that's what he did. He found himself in this, in this, uh, in this body of death, he called it. And then he said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. So Paul was willing to admit that he was a wretched man, right? So, you know, are we too far above that where we can't admit that either? Paul did it. Paul said, I'm less than the least of all the saints, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, was this grace given. The more we realize, the more we decrease, the more he increases. That's the paradox of the kingdom. The more we humble ourselves, the more he exalts us. The more we realize that we're wretched, the more we can sense his delivering power. The next word there is miserable. It's, it's, a, it's a miserable condition to be in when you want to do right but you can't or you, you, know, you do what you don't want to do and you're, you're stuck inside of, of a body and a nature that really goes back to the devil that you can't get out of in your own strength. It's pretty miserable. And then what about poor? What about the poor? Uh, the very first thing that Jesus said when he sat down on the mountain, when he was surrounded by a crowd, 
it says he opened his mouth and he taught them. And he said, blessed, blessed is what group? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So those who realize they're wretched and miserable and poor. And what about blind? The blind, there were, there's story after story in the, in the Gospels of people like Bartimaeus and blind people who they, they knew he was passing by. And they said, they said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And they brought the blind man in front of them and Jesus, in front of him, and Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. And then Jesus touched his eyes and he could see. The people who knew they were blind were the people that Jesus could give sight to. Right? Jesus said to one group, he said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Powerful text. And then the naked. What about the naked? Uh, the, 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 the demoniac was naked, but Jesus delivered him. And then he was sitting and he was clothed and he was in his right mind. So here's my point. <laughs> this is so powerful that those who agree with Jesus, who accept the straight testimony of the true witness to the Laodicean church, who accept the straight testimony to themselves as to their true condition, that they say they're one thing, but they don't know their real condition, that they're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Those that accept the words of Christ and believe in what he says and realize their true condition, these are the very ones that Jesus is able to forgive and to cleanse and to heal. So rather than wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked being something we resist and we reject and we deny and we say, that's not me, we should actually be embracing the truth of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to accept the truth is the path to heaven. It's the path to healing. It's those who realize that they're blind, who Jesus opens their eyes so they can see. It's those who realize that they're naked. They're the ones that he can clothe with the white robe of his righteousness. It's those who realize that they're poor that he can make rich and give them the riches of his love and of his grace. You see that? And there, there have been many, many times, and I'm just talking, you know, just honestly with you, uh, when I went through that struggle 
1986. I mentioned that I became a Christian in 1979 when I read Desire of Ages. I went to La Sierra, then I went to the seminary, and after five years of being a Christian, my spiritual life was in trouble. And then another year later, I was really in trouble, and uh, that's when I knelt down in the darkness of my room in Pacifica, California, and started praying for the Holy Spirit. And as I started praying for the Holy Spirit, the Lord started opening my eyes. And I began to see my real condition. And the Lord began to come deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into my life and to help me to understand his love, his truth, his grace, and my own need for him. Now, if you have this book still in your hands, I want to show you a quote that is so powerful it just, uh, it'll knock your socks off. <laughs> this is from, let's see, where is it? It's in the chapter called The White Robe for Naked Laodiceans. It's at the bottom of page 124. This is, as, as I, told, I mentioned that during the first six years of my Christian life, something happened to me that I didn't understand. After three years, four years, five years of being a Christian, I lost my peace. I lost the, my sense of the presence of God. I was giving my testimony that I was you know, a Christian that had come out of the Hollywood area and, and this and that, and I didn't realize that self was being woven into so much of my, even my own testimony, and that uh, you know, I, I had a problem that I didn't really understand, I didn't, it wasn't clear to me. And then I finally realized what was going on. Now, I want you to look at this quote on page 125 of this book. At the very bottom, there's a quote which is taken from the Review and Herald, December 16, 1890. And this is what it says. Listen to this. It says, the lower we lie at the foot of the cross, the more clear will be our view of Christ. Now, that's a sermon in itself, isn't it? That, that the more we realize our true condition, that, you know, Jesus is right. We really are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It doesn't mean we're, that we're not valuable in his sight. It just means our spiritual condition is a mess. Our spiritual condition is a mess. And he says that the lower we get down, she says, at the foot of the cross, the, the clearer will be our view of Christ. For just as soon as we begin to lift ourselves up and to think that we are something, the view of Christ grows dimmer and dimmer and Satan steps in so we cannot see him at all. And brothers and sisters, that is exactly what happened to me. That's why at the end of six years of being a Seventh-day Adventist, graduate from the seminary, 
I was in big trouble. It was because little by little unknown to me, I had been lifting up myself. Now, you can do that when you're in the world. You know, when I was in the world, I was doing that, and it didn't, it didn't bother me. But now I was a Christian, and now the Holy Spirit had come into my life. Now God had, had changed me, and now the Lord was dealing with me as a father deals with his son. You know, it says the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he scourges his children, and he was, he was working with me, and that's why I lost my peace. That's why I couldn't see Jesus anymore. That's why I couldn't sense the presence of God in my life. That's why uh, I was confused, and then I had all these other ideas in my head because I thought, what's going on? Let's, maybe, it's, maybe I'll study psychology, and I'll try to figure myself out by reading some self-help books. Maybe that'll help me. And, you know, those books only confused me more. They didn't work. They didn't work. But Jesus knew my real problem. And he told me my problem in the Laodicean message. He said that I, that I, I, was, uh, I thought I was one thing. But the truth is, I've got, I had all the needs in the world. I was wretched, miserable, poor, blind. I didn't understand I was naked without the robe. I was losing the robe of the righteousness of Christ. And I was in spiritual trouble. And uh, this, this statement just really has spoken to my heart. Uh, just the next paragraph, there's a quote there that says, God has two thrones, one in the highest heaven and the other in the lowliest heart. God says, to this man will I look to him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. This is the person that I will look to. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, now, now listen to this. In Patriarchs and Prophets, chapter 1, it describes Lucifer's rebellion. And Ellen White says that as Lucifer was moving in the direction of going off the deep end, it says that in ways that only infinite wisdom could devise, infinite love and wisdom could devise, Lucifer was made to see his error. He saw where his rebellion was going. He saw that he was wrong and that his pride was, was, was about to destroy him. He saw that. And then she says that he almost made the decision to come back. But then she says, but pride held him back. He would not humble himself. It was too great of a sacrifice for someone of his stature and of his condition, as honored as he was before the heavenly host. It was too great of a sacrifice for him to humble himself and to admit 
that he was wrong. And I've learned, God has taught me, that I have the same decision to make. Exactly. And so do you. So do you. We need to overcome exactly where Lucifer failed. If we're going to get into heaven, we need to backtrack in the exact way that he refused to do. See, he wouldn't humble himself. And Jesus is asking us, he's appealing to us to humble ourselves through the Laodicean message. He's telling us our true condition. And we need to agree with him. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knew Peter better than Peter knew Peter. And we need to accept this and say, Lord, you're right. You're right. I am wretched and miserable and poor and I'm blind and I'm naked. And the amazing thing is, is to admit that is the best thing we can do for ourselves. It's exactly what the Lord wants. It's, it's exactly the truth from the true witness to the Laodicean church. It's the straight testimony of the true witness to the Laodiceans. That's exactly what it is. Some people say, well, what is the straight testimony? It's right here. It's in the Laodicean message. It's the straight testimony of the true witness to us of what our real condition is. And if we embrace the truth, it's the best thing that we can do. And I, I was going to say a little while ago, I can't tell you how many times, now that I've learned this, when I, I, I'm aware of the temptation to exalt myself, which just comes so naturally to me, just like, you know, it's just the way my water flows. <laughs> water flows down, downhill, and it's just as natural as my nature to think really highly of myself. That's just me, and I, I don't think I'm the only one. <laughs> Some people have it worse than I do, maybe. Um, and I've learned that when I sense that temptation, that I can hit that temptation with a weapon. The Lord has given me a weapon, a powerful weapon. When Lucifer whispers in my ear and tries to get me to think like he thinks, to exalt self, I can hit that temptation with a weapon. And the weapon is, I'm wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And, and that's fine. That's exactly what the Lord wants me to admit. And I've used these scriptures again and again and again and again to fight my own pride and to help me to get down lower and lower and lower and lower. And the amazing thing is, is that the lower I get, the more I can see Jesus. The more I can appreciate his love and his grace and his mercy who saved a wretch like me, 
I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Verse 18, Jesus says, I counsel you. I I learned that the best counselor was not those self-help books that I used to read to try to figure out why I wasn't happy. The best counsel is the counsel of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He knows me better than anybody knows me. He can, now, he says, I counsel you to buy of me three things, gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. This is the Lord's voice to your heart and my heart. And he tells us these three things, these three things we can buy them. Now, I've thought about that and I thought, well, how can I buy gold and white raiment and, uh, and eye salve if I'm poor? If I admit that I'm poor and blind and naked, I, what do I buy with? There's a verse in the Bible in Isaiah that says, Come to the waters. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. So if you have no money, what do you buy with? What do you buy with? Well, here's here's an answer. You know what you buy with? Ellen White talks about the currency, heaven's currency. Do you know what you can buy with to storm the gates of heaven? I'll tell you, you can buy with your need. The more need you know you have, the more you've got to buy with. It's Isaiah, I think it's chapter 55, verse 1, I believe. About the currency? I, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of that. I, I don't, you have to do a search in the CD-ROM. But Jesus just said that the problem with Laodicea is in verse 17, we have need of nothing. That's the problem. And if we realize that we do have a need and our need rises, we've got a lot to buy with. So the good news is that, you know, we've all got a lot to buy with if we're just willing to accept the truth of our real condition. Lord, I'm blind. The more you realize you're blind, the more he'll help you to see. The more you realize that you're poor, the more riches you'll have. The more you realize you're naked, the more you'll appreciate the clothing of the white robe of his righteousness. See, it's, it's the opposite in the, in the Lord's kingdom. It's the, those who know they're poor who become rich. It's those who know they're naked who, are, who can be clothed. It's those who know they're blind who can see. It's those who know they're wretched who can be delivered. It, but those who think they're rich and increase with goods and in need of nothing, they go away empty. All they have is themselves. See what I mean? 
So realizing our condition is the best thing for us. It's the best thing for us. And then we come to Jesus and we buy gold. Gold tried in the fire. And Ellen White says that the gold is faith in Jesus Christ and love. It's faith and love. That's the gold. So as we come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm, I'm a mess. Lord, I'm worse than I, than I think. The truth is that you and I are worse than we think we are. We really are. We're, we're worse than we think we are. And, we, and the more we realize that, the better off we are. <laughs> because Jesus embraces sinners. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees had a real big problem with that. They said, this man, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And that's what Jesus does. And you know, the more we realize we're sinners and the more we realize he welcomes sinners, he loves sinners, the more we realize we're sinners, the more he can work with us. He's not afraid of us admitting the truth. He wants us to admit the truth. The more we admit the truth, the more he can can give us his grace and his power and his love. And then we start to realize that love. See, Jesus loves sinners like me. And so love springs up in the heart. Love springs up in the heart when we realize that Jesus loves the wretched, the miserable, the poor, the blind, and the naked. We can have that gold tried in the fire. It's a fiery experience to accept this truth. It's a fiery ordeal to have our pride shattered, to have our self-righteousness exploded. Even pastors, even seminary uh, graduates and professors, you know, it's, it's fiery to admit the truth. But it's the best thing for us. It's the path to the latter rain. It's the path to the loud cry. It's the path to being fitted with the presence of Jesus and being able to give the loud cry of the third angel's message to a lost world. You know, if we go to a lost world during the loud cry, and if we say, you Babylonians, Don't you know that we're the remnant? What are you doing keeping Sunday? You you Babylonians, you Catholics, you worshipers of the Pope, horror of horrors. You know, if we go out to the world with that kind of an attitude during the loud cry, you know, we're sunk. And God's mission is sunk. The third angel is sunk. We're not going to be able to reach, to reach the hearts of a lost world of people who are just like you and just like me, but who are in other churches and who don't know what we know. We're not going to be able to reach them if we have a proud attitude. If we have a self-righteous spirit, we're done. So God wants to destroy that in the Laodicean message. 
He wants to destroy any sense of remnant self-righteousness. We are the remnant, but that's no reason to be self-righteous. We're just like, we're human beings just like everybody else. We have the same problems, the same nature, the same flesh, the same struggles, the same temptations, and we need to go to a lost world with the bread of life. And we need to do it humbly, humbly, where we love them, we care for them, we're pleading with them as fellow humans to come to Jesus and to find their Savior who gave his life on the cross for all of their sins. The only way that we can do that is if we're broken, if we're shattered, if we're uh, low at the foot of the cross, and if we have his power and his spirit to give the loud cry of the third angel's message. That's why the Laodicean message is to prepare us to give the third angel's message to the world. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment. There's the white robe of his own righteousness that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness do not appear. I've prayed this many times, Lord, don't let the shame of my nakedness appear. It says about those who, who are not ready for Armageddon in Revelation 16, 15, Jesus says, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they were ashamed. And sin is shameful. Pride is, is shameful. It's shameful for us to think that we're better than other people. It's shameful for us to exalt ourselves like the devil. To be part of the remnant people of God in the last days and to think that we know more than the Lord knows, more than the Amen knows, more than the faithful true witness knows. For us to be, you know, living in sin or, or straying from the words of God or exalting ourself. These things are shameful in the sight of God. And Jesus doesn't want our shame to appear, so he wants to clothe us with the white robe of his righteousness so none of that shows up. It's like he say, he's saying, I've got your back. If you come to me and let me cover you, I've got your back. And none of your wickedness and your shame and the truth about your life, none of that will appear. I'll cover it all. I'm behind you. I'm with you. Give me a chance. Humble yourself. And let me make you what I want to make you. The last thing he says in verse 18 is to anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. The eye salve is the Holy Spirit. When we pray for the Holy Spirit, the Lord will give us the Holy Spirit and we can see. We can see the truth. We can see the cross. We can see his grace. We can see his white robe. We can see his love. We can see his word. 
verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Sometimes we think the Laodicean message is just Jesus giving us a cold spanking. You wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked sinners, I'm going to spit you out. You know, that's the, way we, that's the way we see the Lord. But that's not the spirit of the Laodicean message. That's not what Jesus is, is all about. He's trying to help us to see our need because he loves us. And he wants us to be ready. He loves us. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hears my voice, not the voice of Steve Wahlberg, and when you stand up in the pulpit, pastors, Jesus doesn't want the, your church to just hear your voice. He wants you and me to be channels for his voice. His voice. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. This tells me that the ultimate goal of the Laodicean message is the presence of Jesus Christ. He wants to come in, and he wants to sup with us. He wants to eat with us. He wants to um, spend time with us. And that's what Ellen White says in the testimony that I already read. She says, and I'll read this again. It is designed to arouse the people of God, to discover to them their backslidings, to lead them to zealous repentance that they may be favored with the presence of Jesus. That's what it's all about. He says, I'll come in. It's the presence of Christ. And the lower we get at the foot of the cross, the more of the presence of Jesus we'll have. That's why I, that's why I ran into spiritual trouble. That's why I burned my Ellen White books. That's why I got so confused was because I lost the presence of Jesus. And the reason why I lost it was because I exalted myself and I didn't know what I was doing. Make sense? I didn't understand. Listen to this. As this message affected, oh wait, wait. There, that they may be favored with the presence of Jesus and be fitted for the loud cry of the third angel. As this message affected the heart, it led to deep humility before God. The cause of God, it says, then it says, angels were sent in every direction to prepare unbelieving hearts for the truth. The cause of God began to rise. And his people were acquainted with their position. So what, what she says is that the more we accept the Laodicean message and humble ourselves, then if, if God's people around the world accept the straight testimony of the true witness to the Laodicean church 
And pastors in Michigan, I mean, what an opportunity. And your, and your wives, what an opportunity we have at this conference to lead out in this kind of experience. If we're, the more we humble ourselves, then what happens is the angels start spreading out into the world and start preparing people in the world for the third angel's message. Because as we're getting ready, the angels are going out to prepare them so they can then hear the message from us and they can come in and accept the truth. Make sense? It's totally connected, totally connected. Wow, this is so powerful. A couple more verses and then we're done. Verse 21. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne. This is amazing. I, I can't even comprehend this. Can you imagine? What, what Jesus is saying is that somehow we are going to share the throne of the universe. His plan for you is to share the throne of the universe. We've got some overcoming to do. And we need to overcome where the devil failed. We need to go right through the same experience that Lucifer went through, and we need to do what he refused to do. And that was humble himself before Jesus Christ. Lucifer had a problem with Jesus Christ. That's where this whole thing started. And he refused to submit his being to the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's how he became a devil. And that's how this whole thing started. And we need to overcome him and ourselves. And then Jesus will grant us to sit with him on his throne even as I also overcame and am sat down with my Father in his throne. That is the destiny of Laodicea. Our ultimate goal is to sit with the Son of God and somehow share with him in the rulership of the universe. <laughs> wow. We have an incredible future ahead of us. And the only thing that's going to stop us from getting there is our own vanity, our own pride, our own self-righteousness and, and unwillingness to humble ourselves, to realize that without God, we're a mess. Without the Lord, we're a mess. We're worse than we think we are. But Jesus loves us more than we think he does. <laughs> and he can handle it. He can handle it. If you're, if you're willing to accept, and if I'm willing to accept our true condition, you know, Jesus can handle that. He's well able to save the, those who know they're wretched and they're miserable and they're poor and they're blind and they're naked. And you know what? We'll be able to relate a whole lot better to the people out there that the angels are preparing for us to reach when we know our true condition 
that really we're just like them. Because we all have the same nature and the same tendencies and the same temptations and we all need a savior. We all need the white robe of his righteousness. Verse 22. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you ready to pray? Let's, uh, let's kneel together and let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the awesome one. You are the creator of this world, the beginning of the creation of God. You are the true witness. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you're coming on a white cloud with a golden crown and a sharp sickle. And someday every knee shall bow to you and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, how much we need you. We need you so much. We're in bodies that have been, uh, have been infected by a virus, the virus of sin and self and pride. And Lord, it's ugly. Sin is ugly. It's shameful in your universe. And we pray, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for our sin. Help us to realize our condition and help us to know that you love us. You love sinners. You love to bind up our wounds. You love to give us sight. You give sight to the blind. You love to clothe the naked and to give the riches of gold and love to those who are poor. Lord, bless this group. Prepare us for heaven. Send the angels out and prepare us to give the loud cry of the third angel's message, which lifts you up before a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.